What would you do if you found out the person you were married to was some kind of creepy criminal? We'll talk about it on this episode of the Mind Dog TV podcast. The opinions expressed on this program are those of the host or guest and should not be interpreted as statement of fact. Independent fact checking and corrections are encouraged. This episode is brought to you by Funwise Capital. Funwise Capital is a business lender matching platform. Avoid the mystery of one-sided deals. Connect with Fundwise to get the very best funding you can qualify for fast. You can apply online in 60 seconds or less, and there's no effect to your credit to see how much you can get. It's easy. Use the funding for anything you need to start or grow your business. You did hear me correctly. I did say start or grow your business. If you don't have a business yet, but you got a solid business plan, they can help you get funding. Get the best funding you can qualify for. Their strategic lender matching platform searches through hundreds of lenders to find the very best possible option for your unique situation. They have hundreds of five-star reviews on Google, Trustpilot, and Facebook, and an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. They provide unsecured lines of credit at 0% interest for 9 to 15 months. Unsecured term loans, loans based on income, short-term gap funding, and bridge loans. They work with real estate, startups like I already mentioned, franchises, restaurants, any kind of business, any kind of project. To get started, it's really easy. Just go to apply.funwise.com slash minddog. That's apply.funwise.com slash minddog. Get money for your business now. Fly.funwise.com slash mind dog. Is everybody ready for the mind dog to make it to the show? Welcome, my friends, to yet another episode of the Mind Dog TV podcast. I'm Matt Napo. Thanks for coming. It's great to have you here, as always. Just thinking uh, about Dave, the guy who says, start the clock in that intro. I haven't seen him for 35 years now. That was when he said that, start the clock. <laughs> but I, I think about him often. I wonder how he's doing. Tonight, uh, yeah, I'll be honest with you. Uh, I was really excited about having this conversation because I thought, and I still think, that the just the title of the book we're going to talk about would be enough to have, draw in a pretty big crowd uh, on a Wednesday night. Turns out YouTube is down for like three quarters of the country right now. <laughs> uh, so people will see it. Uh, maybe not so much live. We are on Facebook. We are on uh, Rumble and, and lots of other platforms. But YouTube is the biggest one. And so a lot of people might be trying to connect live tonight uh, and can't. It's just my luck because the title of the book is salacious enough uh, to drive ratings. <laughs> Me being a very selfish person. Now, th there's a... Um, an important story to be told with the book and a story about recovering and uh, dealing with trauma and then that sort of stuff. Now, we know about the vows, the vows you take when you get married, right? Um, for better or for worse, sickness and in health, you know, all that kind of stuff. They don't ask, what if he turns out to be a creep? What if he turns out to be a criminal? What if you find out you're married to 
a murderer or a, uh, you know, a serial rapist or, you know, just a bad person. What if you do? I think my guest knows what if. Amanda Quick is an author, mother, wife, quantum energy healer, empowerment coach, speaker, and uh, spiritual channel. Her book, The Sex Trafficker's Wife, is a story of truth, faith, faith and trust. It's a memoir. Uh, it seems to be a true story. Of course, it says truth right in there about finding out the person you were married to um, is now being accused of sex trafficking. She's here with me now. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, please open your ears, open your minds, and help me welcome in Amanda Quick to the Mind Dog TV Hello. podcast. Amanda, welcome. Thank you so much. Uh, so I, I'm confessing quite honestly that, you know, I was hoping this would be a big ratings draw, but then uh, the universe said, yeah, not for you tonight. <laughs> but I, I do expect uh, quite a few people to see the title and still be intrigued by the story. And that's what intrigued me. I have a lot of questions. I'm sure you do. <laughs> yeah. Uh, how long were you married? Uh, a f- the All said and done, we made it to 10 years. But when he was arrested, we had just hit six. Okay. Now, the charge was attempted sexual trafficking it was attempted human trafficking is how they legally do it yes now uh, do you know he he was guilty was he guilty now i know i didn't back then okay what is attempted that means he he tried to do it but was stopped uh it meant he never took possession of the children okay was this the first time uh statistically speaking it's impossible he claimed that that you know, so are, which which question are we asking? Because his oh, story versus the reality, right? Okay, okay so I'm gathering the answer is uh, statistics would say almost certainly not Correct. the first time, but Correct. he is denying that he ever did it before. You yeah. should talk to him. No. Oh, okay. No. <laughs> no. No. We um we separated in twenty. We officially got divorced in twenty twenty. His arrest was in twenty sixteen. Wow. Uh, so many questions here now, because I, the part that gets me now, quantum energy healer, empowerment, yeah. code speaker, and spiritual channel, you must be intuitive on some, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you must be at least a little yeah. bit intuitive to, to have but that in your resume. That, 10 years, no, no clue. Uh, so those, the spiritual awakening didn't happen until after. I was pretty shut down, pretty turned off in a lot of ways. I had gone through a lot of trauma through my childhood, and I was repeating some pretty big patterns when I married and obviously didn't see the red flags right in front of me. Interesting. Now, uh, it's painful to look back, right? It's got to be painful to look back. But do you you allow yourself to look back and say, I should have seen this sign? I should have noticed? So... For a long time, I did that. I said, how, how did I not see it? I, how did I not see that? Right? I, I had that story running for a, a while, and I held a lot of guilt and shame around not seeing the truth. Because not only did I not see who he was, but I stuck around and believed his story for a while because of all of the same trauma reasons. And I put my kids in a pretty dangerous situation for a long time until I saw how dangerous it was. And... It's taken me a lot of healing and a lot of work 
to get to the point where I don't look back with guilt and shame anymore. I look back and go, wow, those were some really big freaking lessons that I needed to learn. And now I got them. Now I've got them. And I'm not doing that again. There's an important message for a lot of people, mostly women, in what you just said. And it's this, if I can articulate it correctly. Um, My mom was arrested with my father, uh, and but she was guilty and knew of the crimes he was committed, but and supported him. But at the time, I remember de- uh, very distinctly a detective telling me the wife always knows what's going on. When she's married to a criminal, she knows always knows what's going on. And I think society judges people that way. And so for a lot of women who went through what you do, or women who, let's say, uh, an equally egregious thing of uh, incest where a father mm-hmm. is raping his daughters and they say, yeah. well, the mother had to have known that she had to have known. And then they are judging you and saying, yeah. you, you're lying. If you're lying to say you didn't know, first of all, and assuming that you must have known you're yeah. just covering up for him that, and there are a lot of women who are dealing with all sorts of sits, not the same situation, <laughs> but similar stressful, mm-hmm. Yes. kind of traumatic situations who really don't know, but society is going to judge them. You had to have known. You were living with them. How could you not know? You're just, you're just saying that because you don't want to be held accountable. What do you say to those women out there who are going through the same thing that you were doing? And when, when, when it hits the fan, society is going to judge them and assume they're guilty. They're, they're, they, you know, equally guilty. Well, what the first thing I want to tell them is they're not alone. Because the biggest thing that happens when you feel judged from the outside world like that is you isolate yourself, which further, you know, repeats this, this dialogue that clearly you knew because you've isolated yourself and you've shut yourself down. If you, if you weren't guilty, you wouldn't do that. But that's not how trauma works in a body. You isolate yourself and you, what, what's actually happening when people are judging people is they're causing them to isolate and go further into this belief that their spouse or whoever is who they thought they were in the first place, because the only safe person that they can speak to is the person who caused the trauma. And there's very likely a repeated cycle of abuse that happens in all of these relationships. And they are very trauma bonded to the spouse that caused the trauma. And they don't see what's right in front of them because they, they literally can't this from a psychological standpoint, our bodies and our minds don't allow us to see those things because it would, it would break us. And so the judgment that we feel from the outside world is actually adding to those isolating patterns, making it even more hard to get out of these situations. And so to those women and to those, those people in those situations, I want to first tell them you're not alone and this is not your fault. You are not responsible for your husband's crimes. And if you want to get out, there is a way and you just need to find the people that can hold the space and see you instead of placing blame and judgment because that doesn't help anybody. Right. Okay. Good stuff. Now it's seven years. Seven years seems like a long time, but it's not a long time. Has no. all that has, I don't expect to, you to tell me you you're completely healed by, by this, but has that portion of it, the portion of judgment from the outside world that you feel has that subsided? Yes. 
Yes, I wouldn't have been able to write the book and publish it and go on social media and talk about it had I, if I was still being affected by those judgments, because I receive a ton of hate comments on a regular basis. And honestly, those hate comments increase my engagement and help me sell more books and reach more people. And I'm of that mind now, because I know that I did the best that I could with the information I had. And that once I did see the truth, I fought like hell for myself and my kids. And I know who I am, and that's all that matters. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you said once I saw the truth. Now, yes. I'm going to assume, because I know new, human nature, and I know if it were me in, the, in your shoes standing there, when the cops come and they tell you that, your first instinct is probably denial, right? No, yes. you got the complete wrong. disbelief. Complete right. denial, disbelief. And I, so much shock that I thought that somebody had stolen his wallet and he was dead in a ditch somewhere. That made more sense. Yeah. Or that somebody who's somebody, yes. he, he angered somebody, somebody setting him up yep. or framing him. Yep. Or but how long did it take you to realize that you, your denial was, was in error? So the truth was it took years. And this is a hard thing for people to understand is it took me years and it took me seeing my own kids in danger before I went, holy hell, this is real. Wow. Uh, was there was there a moment where he knew he had lost you and, and you, basically he couldn't lie to you anymore and, and all the denial wasn't going to work? So he never still to this day has admitted that he tried to have sex with children, even though he pled guilty to such things. He always has claimed that he only ever saw adult prostitutes and not ever children. Now, I believed that story for a very long time. And I believed we were dealing with infidelity and a sex addiction, not a child endangerment issue. But when, but I still also couldn't stay married to him after we got through the criminal trial because I was dealing with a huge infidelity and sex addiction issue. And that was not a simple thing to get through. But as we started to go through the custody fight and I started to see my own children be groomed by their father and the things that came out of my children's mouths, I started to then have all of the memories flooding back in front of my face about the criminal trial, about, you know, the past relationship history and all of those things. And it was like, the doors were flooded open and all of the information all of a sudden was accessible to me when I had had my head in the sand and blinders on the whole time before. Very heavy stuff I'm, I'm thinking about here. Now, you, you mentioned kids. and I, Are your kids old enough to be able to process it, even in therapy or whatever they have to go to? Are they, can they process it? or Not yet. So, so do you even have discussions with them about this or? I do. I do because I, it is very important to me to be transparent in as a age appropriately as I can be. They are now eight, 10 and 12. And so there's, you know, this much understanding about sex, not the reality of it. And so I talk about it as much as they are wanting to talk about it. And then we talk about it from a keeping bodies safe and private parts private sort of way, not what the actual gravity of a situation would be. And not until they're 16, 18, do we, can we really start to have the conversation? Cause they don't understand their own sexuality yet. And right. I can't put that on them until they're ready to talk about it. Understood. Um, a lot of people, and maybe you don't, you don't subscribe to this. I 
don't even know where I think about this. But when we when we see this kind of behavior, deviant behavior, do you understand where it came from and what what made him that person? So he never at least could share with me in a way that he could grasp that something did happen to him as a child. But I truly believe something did because, you know, the family dynamic was very separated from any extended family. And there was a lot of secrets in the family and there was even completely estranged family members. And I never got an explanation or an understanding of that. And I don't even know that he has conscious memories of what happened, but I do believe something did happen to him as a child. And, you know, I think on some level, there was a part of me that saw that wounded child and wanted to help him get better. But, you know, the victims often become the abusers. And at some point, it's not safe. Yeah. Well, that, you know, you touched on a couple of reasons why I asked that question is I definitely believe a lot of this stuff is rooted in childhood stuff. But um, and I'm not a psychologist, but I, I, I'm a musician. And what, what do I know? But I wrote a song called Hand Me Down, which is basically about how even if something is not hereditary, like you know, mental conditions are not hereditary, they are inherited yes. uh, in a lot of ways. Are you, and I, you know, I, I, I'm sorry if this is oversensitive and if I'm, I'm going too far with these questions, but are you sure that he didn't infect your children? So I've been asked that before. And, you know, on some level, that's the fear, right? Because, right. you know, they, but the level of abuse didn't get to the molestation point. It stopped at just grooming. It stopped at the inappropriate boundaries, moving just a little bit closer, the games that are kind of inappropriate. And so it didn't actually get to the point where he crossed that boundary. And I'm very, very grateful that I succeeded when I did because it really felt like it was going down a very dangerous path. Um, and so I'm able to have a conversation with my kids about, you know, what, what boundaries are okay and what kind of touching is okay. And we can, we can talk about it in a different way without having to undo something that's almost impossible to do from a trauma standpoint. What a terrible world we live in. It, <laughs> yes. Um, well, I, I will come back to this because I, the part about being an empowerment coach and energy mm-hmm. healer would yeah. imply that you think there's something salvageable in this world. And I, and yeah, I do. I do. I'll let you answer it. But the question is hard is like, how could you possibly, after the dark, the yeah. depths of darkness, that you have seen personally and not that long ago. So if, if I went down that rabbit hole and if I said that the world was horrible and everybody, you know, and there was so much trauma and it was not fixable and it was just going to be repeated cycles forever and ever, then what would be the point? Like what would be the point of continuing this experience? And for me, I refuse to go down that. I refuse to live that way. If to me, I went through this so that I can help people who have also been through it and so that I can help to change that narrative because I do believe healing is possible. There are some really hard things to come back from. Yes. But I don't believe that we're indeterminately broken forever when we go through big traumas. I don't, I don't necessarily either, but uh, I guess why I was reflecting what 
the darkness in my own mind and my own mm -hmm. heart, thinking that you're going to have to have this these conversations with your children. Yeah. We yeah. live in a time where people will persecute you for having these conversations with your children. How dare you talk to your children about something like this? Uh, that's child abuse. You're a terrible mother just for even talking to and, and so it's the brave thing it's something you know you have to do yeah. but on some level like the victimization is just beginning because of how people just can't mind their own business or understand or walk through walk through it imagine themselves going through it and then they you know get on this high horse about what i would do in this situation mm -hmm. and it's really mm -hmm. hard to know what to do am i is that fair yeah. to say it is. And, and I have experienced some of that already and I know that I'll experience more of it, but I have learned a ton from all of this. And to me, this is what I was born to do. I went through this horrible thing and I came out the other side better than 99% of people who go through big trauma. And so if I can help people and I can inspire them, that's what I have to do. And so- Whoa. I, I refuse to let the haters do anything other than help me find the people who need me. I appreciate that. That's a great attitude, by the way. Uh, I'm surprised that I'm getting a little teared up here and you're, you're not. But that's <laughs> that's what it is. Anyway, um, I understand. And it, it does require some bravery. Now, this idea... God, God this is so complicated for me. Is... <laughs> You you just express an idea that you were born to go through this, but mm -hmm. that's a hard belief for me because that, do you think like I don't know the God the universe whatever you put on that whatever you it mm -hmm. intended you to go through this was thinking about because all it's not just you you're not the only victim no. here the other the, the intended children or whoever yeah. were the human being trafficked were were the victim here and this is not, it's not it's a chain event. Do you think that that higher being, whatever it is that gave you or that intended for that purpose for you, considered all the other dominoes in this and like everybody has to go through all this crap just so you could help a few people? Well, and it's not about <laughs> it's not about me. It's not about me specifically. It's about everybody going through all of this crap so that we can come out on the other side and help everybody else through it. It's not like Amanda needs this mission. So all y'all got to go through stuff. It's right. everybody who's born into these cycles of abuse and everybody who is born into these repeated patterns of trafficking, of, you know, gaslighting relationships, narcissism, abusive, physically abusive, all of that. Everybody is born into these families, into these cycles of abuse, and it just gets repeated over and over and over again. And so if somebody can come in and disrupt that, if somebody can come in and go through that and disrupt the repeated cycle, then to me, they get to be a light, a light and a beacon for others. And if more people get to go through it and disrupt it and show people that we can heal, that we can overcome, that there's choices and we don't have to stay a victim because I don't feel like a victim anymore. I did for a while, but I don't feel like a victim anymore. And if we can release the victim and we can realize that we have an opportunity to be a victor and then later a vessel to help other people, then it's not about me. It's about the world. And how do we better the world to come out of this traumatic chaos that we all seem to live in? 
Good for you. Well, the difference is between you and I is probably age. I'm old enough to give up on <laughs> humanity. Well, you you, still, you still think it's worth <laughs> worth fighting for. Yeah. <laughs> I'm still an optimist. I will always remain an optimist. I see the best in people. And yep, that got me into a pretty shitty situation for a while. But, you know, I still I can't give up on humanity. I I can't give up on the possibility that the people who need the healing and the, and the lessons and, you know, that can come and change their lives. And then we get to do more with this world instead of just repeat patterns and go to work every day. If we get to do more then then it's worth it. Good for you. And good for us, I guess. Um, <laughs> punishment. Do you believe in punishment? I believe in natural consequences and that is a punishment on depending on one, however you look at it. I believe in the, the karma type of punishment and that people get what comes to them one way or another. Okay. Now, and again, if I, if I go too far, just say I, that I feel uncomfortable talking about this. Can we move on to something else? But whether it's punishment or vindictiveness or just pure protectiveness for your children, mm-hmm. the, any of those could be, uh, motivation for what I'm going to ask you. Do you, is, are you, do you still allow the children to see him? No. And that's not even my doing. We have had no contact with him in over three years okay. and I would love to keep it that way. Yeah. Uh, I, if, can you be honest enough with yourself to say, is there, cause I know as, uh, I can tell from already from talking to you that you're going to say it purely for protection of your children. No, but... it's not. Purely <laughs> no, it's not. I can be honest. And it is absolutely about me and not having to deal with him ever right. again. Okay. All right. Now, is he in jail? Nope. Okay. He went, he got four years of probation. Well, I can relate. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't want to, because it's not about me. It's about somebody else who was close to me, who was a victim of a yep. really, really, um, yep. hideous act. And per- person did not have to go to jail. He didn't even have to go to counseling that long. I think he went to counseling for, uh, like two weeks or, or three weeks. And, and then that was enough to walk away from it. And never, you know, yep. sweep it under the rug. Um, and, Part of the the message or lesson that I took away from that, and this is going back many, many years, is that sweeping it under the rug is the absolute worst. Nobody wants to talk about it. It's so uncomfortable and it it reunites, reignites the pain. You don't want to relive the pain. So families will bury this under or sweep it under the rug come holidays and not talk about it. Ten years in, you had to have a pretty nice relationship with families right mm-hmm. he, you had with your him with your family and you with his mm-hmm. uh how the families so i have also not spoken to his family in this even longer they have chosen to stay out of contact with us um so my kids lost both their father and their that entire extended family and to be completely honest i'm okay with that I don't have to deal with it. I don't have to interact with them. I don't have to deal with the levels of abuse that it got to from a mental and emotional standpoint. And I'm very, very grateful for that gift that they gave us. And what about your family? Are they not healed? Because nobody can be healed in in this this short of time, I think. I mean, maybe you'll argue with me about that. But I think uh, healing is a lifelong 
journey to to recovering from something like this. But are they are they full of anger? I, my my that, mom is so I have I only really have my mom and sister who are close to me, and they were not. You know, they lived in different towns. They weren't really connected to what happened in the same way. They were there to support me, but you know, and obviously they, they knew what happened in in more detail. But they, you know, they remain in contact and close to me as family. But it, my story didn't impact them in any really big way, other than having to watch me go through it. Wow. Do you uh, now? Have you heard since writing the book? And the book's only been out like a month, right? About a Correct. month. Correct. Have Have you heard from other people? Because again, this seems like such a unique story. I mean, there are lots of maybe almost like this, but have you heard from other women who've gone through exactly I have, what? Really? I I have had people say, "Oh my God, somebody wrote my story. Somebody's seeing my story," and I have had those responses even down to some of the specifics and they're in shock that that somebody else out there experienced the same thing because for the same reasons we feel isolated we feel like we're completely alone but i knew that i was not the only wife out there but you know my publishers did some research and we could not find somebody who has ever published the wife's story and it was very important that i do so because i'm not the only one well, I think I already explained why. I think most of them don't want to talk about it. it no. it's, they'd rather bury it under the rug and let God, the universe, whatever, deal with, with the consequences mm-hmm. rather than me have to. But, again, I think this is what the problem with society is. The, when we when we do that, all we're doing is put stuff under the rug it's gonna stink eventually it's gonna come out and it, yeah. it may take a hundred years but eventually you're, you're gonna have to deal with it and it will be worse it will have grown it will it will festered yeah mm-hmm. yep so congratulations <laughs> yeah being proactive in in this now um again seven years so you're married again yes i am Again, and I, and I know people are like, what? Right. How do you trust somebody again? Are you crazy? How do you trust somebody? And it, that seems like, like, when did you meet? You had to have met while you were still. No, we met in 2021. Um, so we're, still... we're brand, brand new married. That's um, still, I, what I was going to say, still hurting, still. You, you have to still, even in 2021. I mean, be honest. You were so we, in 2020, the divorce was finalized two weeks before the pandemic hit. And so divine timing, indeed, because it meant that I got full custody right before the lockdowns happened and he was never quarantined with them. And my everything shut down right as all of it was over. And so I got a huge opportunity gifted to me by the universe because I got to heal with my kids at home without any outside influence, without anybody telling me what to do, without the stresses of the day-to-day because we were all locked in our houses. And I took that opportunity and that's when I started diving into every healing modality I could find. I started learning about trauma and the body and all of the levels and layers of what I was going through. And I had to understand. I had to understand why I would have to go through something like this, what that meant, what I could do to help me, what I could do to help my kids. And I dived deep into releasing all of the PTSD that I had been experiencing and and, and looking at things from a different level of awareness. And 
And I started meeting people all over the world. And I started meeting people through other healing modalities and spiritualities, you know, uh, workshops and things like that. And that's actually where I met my now new husband. And, and so I was able to work with myself on all levels and layers. And yes, on some level, you're still, you're always hurting. It always sucks. And it was really hard to write the book because you have to relive it in detail. But it is very cathartic if you can allow your body to release the things as you're feeling them. And that's what I did. And so the more I wrote, the more I actually was able to let go of and look at with new awareness. And, and so, you know, my now husband is the first man that I have ever actually felt emotionally safe with in my entire life because I got to learn what that even meant. All right. Now, there's a lot uh, you you just said there that I want to respond to or ask questions about. Um, some of it is going to be personal from my own uh, gratification, I guess. I've been trying to write a book about uh, something traumatic that happened to me at the same time, 2016, and I can't. I, I, but all those things you talk about, I mean, you see, I, I teared up a little bit just hearing your story. Uh, I'm, I'm a crybaby. I'm not like Jordan Peterson. I don't cry when I talk to people generally. <laughs> but uh, writing a book um, and some terrible things, I can't I couldn't move on and I can't I can't finish the book. It's been seven years now. And I'm still like struggling. Well, you know, I'll just write a chapter and then leave myself in a depression for two months <laughs> over writing a chapter. That's not good. Um, so I'll, I'll, that that stuff can be helpful to hear hear your advice on that. And feeling like yeah, at some point maybe I can do it, and it will feel like a cleansing experience. Yeah. But at this point, it doesn't. Um, can how did he get caught? What? How did he get caught? How did he get it was a sting. It was a sting operation. So he responded to an ad and they offered an 11 and 14 year old and he showed up. Wow. Where did he see? It's just crazy that people would even put that in an ad. Like, I, I, I think I would hope. Well, the, the ad was for adults. And so when he responded to, so there used to be a website called Backpage that was like Craigslist for hookers. Okay. And he responded to an ad for adult fun, and then they offered children, and those who continued the conversation were Holy crap. lured, basically. Wow. Uh, and what part of the country did you uh, – you don't it's, have to tell me where, where you it live. Was Col- it was Colorado that Colorado. he was arrested in. Hmm. And, and you know, this is just a, a weird – so this thing, they must have had lots of people. Yes. To, to they – it's it's so hard to wrap your head around. Do they wait till it looks like he's about to take action, or you know, just any t- just responding to the ad was enough? So they got basically they wanted them to get to the point where they exchanged money. That was the goal. There wasn't actually children in the sting; they were no, hypothetical children. So they they lure them to a location and they you know move them a couple times, and then they try to they basically try to get them to exchange money with the belief that they're going to have sex with children, and in my husband's case, he um, had done this enough times that he knew you don't pay up front. And so when they kept insisting on money up front, he bailed. Wow. He'd done this enough times. So that yeah. that idea has to scare the hell out of you. Like, I really need to get myself checked for every possible. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Uh, just a, a frightening story. And, you know, beyond 
what might drive an adult to be interested in an 11-year-old? 14-year-old is still a big stretch. I mean, but 11-year-old, my God, what could could some, you know, that thought. And he just doesn't, you can't talk to him or get any, you know. No, and he, after the fact, he never admitted that he actually wanted to have sex with the children. He said his story was that he was admitting to adult prostitutes, but he thought it wasn't real and had to find out if it was real enough to report it. That was his story that he ran with. And I really, really wanted to believe that story. But obviously then I saw my own kids being groomed and I went, Oh, Holy fuck. No story. Now would it make it? I know uh, pedophilia or, you know, children is, it's worse, but would it really have made a difference? Would you would you been more forgiving? And forgiving is the wrong word. Would you be more accept? Could you have st- stayed in the marriage if it were only prostitutes? So that's prostitute? that's what I was trying to do. And when he was first arrested, and that's as far as I could wrap my head around to believe, which was still a big stretch. He was admitting to soliciting adults our entire marriage, but he was being charged with soliciting children, and so. I was trying to wrap my head around, can I stay and we work on infidelity and a sex addiction and, and not, I'm not being married to a monster in the same way. And that's actually why I stayed as long as I did, because I was trying to figure out how to do that, how to keep my family together, how to keep, you know, a father in my kids' lives, because I just think he's got some depression and some addictive issues. And so I thought in my head, well, people recover from infidelity all the time. Right. We can we can go to therapy. We can figure out what's going on. And that's that's the story I ran with for years. And then eventually I realized I couldn't stay in a marriage with somebody who cheated on me. And I started to separate from him. And then things started to just get worse and worse. And I started to see the darkness for what it was because I had started to take my blinders off. And that's what it takes sometimes. Yeah, yeah, I get it. You really think that uh, people uh, get over infidelity? I don't. I don't anymore, but I wanted to believe that when you have three young children. I mean, my my kids were babies. They were one, four, and six. uh, Yeah, I understand that uh, desire to keep your family together and keep your children with a father. Uh, I understand all that, but when you you said people get over infidelity all the time... that's like that's uh, the belief, right? Because you you read the stories out there that it made them stronger and all of these things, and you know you latch on to those stories and you go, well, maybe we can too. And you know because of the way the relationship was, it was very hot and cold, and you know he would be very withdrawn and then be love bombing the crap out of us, and so I I would get sucked in, and it's an, another addictive pattern, and we actually become addicted to that cycle. Our bodies do, and. You know, they they show up and you know apologize and things are going to be better and and everything is amazing and they give you all the love and attention you could ever want, only to then you know have the biggest darkness there could possibly be too. And that that's what kept me stuck as long as it did. Right uh, now, there's a reason that I have a disclaimer up in the front of the show because I I don't want anybody to do anything because I expressed an opinion. And so I expressed that opinion that um, you don't get over fidelity. But if you're in a a marriage, please don't say, I need to get divorced because he said you never get over. You know, there's a reason for the disclaimer. Okay, so 
at some point you start to gradually heal from this and mm -hmm. then you uh, get into this world of spiritual mm -hmm. uh, channeling and energy healing and all that stuff. Uh, how did that begin? Well, so one of the biggest changes uh, when I was at my rock bottom point and I'm seeing my kids being abused and the system. So people are shocked by this, but because just because he was, he pled guilty to solicitation of a minor and served four years probation. The family court custody fight was even more traumatizing and more challenging and more expensive than the criminal trial. And I had to fight to prove that my children were in danger by their father, even with his offense. And so all of these things were happening and my kids are showing signs of being groomed and the things that they're telling me are very traumatizing and child protective services does nothing. And I'm at my rock bottom point. And I'm like, I don't even know what to do. My kids are going to be abused. I'm going to end up having to live in constant trauma. And what do I do? And my therapist, my regular mental health professional therapist says, have you ever seen a psychic? Maybe you should go ask them. And I was like, huh, what? Are you crazy? Is that even real? Only in Colorado with, with, a, <laughs> with a professional. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, it's true. And I was like, I was very agnostic, very just like, what? You sure? And uh, so I went to go see this lady because I'm like, screw it, right? I'll try anything at this point. Child Protective Services is useless. I might as well try psychic. And uh, um, the psychic that I went to see was explaining a past life that she was reading between my husband at the time and, and me. And, and all of this fear in my body started to well up. And as she was talking about the abuse that I experienced in this other life and and she started to basically repeat all of the same stories that I had been saying about why I had to stay in the marriage and keep my kids' father in their lives and how I couldn't do this on my own. And, and all of it, I was like, oh, my God, she's reading my mind. She's reading everything that I've been through. And I was like, okay, you got me. Like, tell, tell me more because somebody maybe could help me here. And she called me out for the lack of choice and the, the fact that I had stayed as long as I did, that I never really could choose myself, that I was not choosing to see him truly for what he was. Even as I was fighting in court, there was some part of me that really wanted him to get better. It really wanted him to get better, that really wanted my kids to have their dad in their lives and really wanted my family back together. And I, I, I even couldn't admit it to myself at the time because all of this stuff right in front of me was so horrible, but this deepest part of me still saw how wounded he was and wanted to help him heal still. And she called me out for it. And she said, you haven't chosen. You haven't really chosen yet. And nobody can help you. Your angels can't help you until you choose. And I was like, okay, okay, I'm choosing. And she says, you got to mean it. Okay, fine. Yes, I'm choosing. Yes. And I was seeing that I was even holding on to the slightest hope that he would get better, or that he could heal, or that he could see what he was doing and take accountability for his, his choices was making it so that I couldn't actually create this outcome of safety for myself because I was giving him some of that energy. I was, I was still wanting him to get better. I had to let go of that. And I had to let go of that pattern. And I had to actually stand up for myself and for my kids and choose differently this time. And, you know, six weeks after that meeting with the psychic is when I got full custody. And I was amazed and shocked at how fast it shifted because I shifted. 
I stopped taking my advice from everybody else. I said, this is what needs to happen. Who can help me? I got the case file unsealed from the court. I got my recordings from my kids specifically about what was going on. I got in touch with Homeland Security and the arresting officers. Like my evidence stack got huge. And all of a sudden I had what I needed to fight in court. And so when I won, I was like, oh my, oh my God, it worked. The angels are real. This whole, this whole spirituality thing is real. I need to learn more. And it sent me down this rabbit hole of trying to understand the universe, trying to understand how energy works in our body, trying to understand trauma, trying to understand everything about the world. And I went down many, many rabbit holes. There's a lot of them out there. If you go, go looking and, you know, I, I started to gain my own understanding of how the universe works and the spirituality. And the more I connected, the more information started to pour through me, the more I started to realize how shut up I had been and how much I could actually feel and how intuitive I could actually be. And just because this lady could talk to angels doesn't mean I couldn't. I just didn't know how to be connected and how to receive messages myself. Oh, I wish I had two hours to talk to you, but I don't, uh, (laughs) because there's a lot that you said there. Uh, And just to give you a quick why why I'm so interested in that is I spent 45 years uh, down all those rabbit holes, and I've and, and people who listen to my morning show know this uh, uh, about me. Recently, I mean, for 45 years, I've gone ping ponging between complete cynic to uh, <laughs> complete believer to skeptic, but not cynic to question everything and everywhere in between. And lately I've been at a very, very cynical place in my life because some of the people I've talked to on this program, you, you mentioned rabbit holes and you can go down and believe in a lot of different things. And so it ends up like the, you're believing in the Easter bunny. And it's like, come on, there are some places where you have to draw the line. I worked for a healing energy healing university, four year university. Um, and those people believed in the people who were involved in there were 1200 people and they paid full-time tuition for, for four years to learn this stuff. But they ended up believing in the Easter bunny or just any, any kind of mm-hmm. magical story. And I was like, at some point you have to have something you don't that you just assume is just craziness or just somebody's imagination getting the best of them does that even matter so from my perspective yeah it doesn't matter and people need to believe in something and their their interpretation of whatever energy they're feeling doesn't matter what it is is going to be different depending on the learnings and things that they've experienced and the people they've come across. And a lot of it is just language variances. A lot of it is just this, this particular energy feels like this, and we can translate it in 14 different languages and talk about it as if it's a different religion or a different methodology. But ultimately, I believe that everything exists as energy on some level and how we interpret it and how we move around in it gets to be up to us. And that it's not about believing or not believing. It's how do we interpret what we're perceiving and how do we want to experience things going forward? And so I look at things not from a, it's this being with this name and this agenda. I look at it from this is how it feels and how it, how my body responds to it. And how does that match up with what I'm creating in the world? 
And so I, I look at it very almost differently. And I really like to weave in quantum physics and, you know, more po possibilities versus this, you know, the, the, the starseed and alien version of it. I really try to look at it as a tangible thing because I spent, I spent most of my life disconnected and not spiritual. And I feel like I did that so that I could talk to people on a real level instead of talk to them all the, on, about all the woo-woo. And it's how do we translate it? And how do we, how do we help people pick up the lessons without shutting them off because we're, we've gone all crazy off in our heads? But ultimately, does it matter what people believe in and how they translate those, those lessons? I don't think it does. I, I hear what you're saying. And it, it, you know what? I always come back to if it works for you and it leads you to a, a, a healthier yeah. place for you, I mean, knock yourself out with it. But for me, after 45 years, I ping pong. And I guess my question was, do you have anything ever rock you to where, okay, you're on this path now that you're, and I say you're still in a healing journey from from the moment that you got the news yeah. to now. It's been a, a, a gradual healing process. Uh, do you ever get filled with doubt and just say, is everything, is everything just... Am I just kidding myself? So I think the ones that I've struggled with the most are the like tangible manifestations, right? There's in the same spiritual community, we get to we hold our intentions and manifest miracles. And I've watched myself do that time and time again. And yet at the same time, when it I get really frustrated and shut off, do I believe that this is even possible when things don't work out like I want? But if usually if I'm patient enough, they work out better than I could have expected. And I get to allow the universe to surprise me. And I always have to remind myself of that because when we're in it and we're frustrated and it hasn't worked out, it's hard to hold that belief. But and I've definitely been rocked in different, you know, I, you know, if I'm, I was following a particular spiritual coach for a while and I realized the amount of manipulation that exists in those communities just in the same way. And, you know, a lot of them are about having you buy their beliefs so that you continue to pay them. And I, I, you can see it for what it is. And at the same time, the people who are in those paths are feeling like it's helping them. And so on some level, does it really matter? And so I've had to really step back and what is important to me and what is important to me and what I'm doing right now. And, What's important to me is to take care of myself, to take care of my kids, and to get my message out into the world. And the more I focus on that and less on the rest of it, the faster things move and the more people I reach and the more amazing things I get to experience. And so I, I, I refuse to go into the total cynic. It's not who I am. It's not in my DNA. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, you know, I would say this that I, I actually willingly go as far to the cynic side as, as I can, and I've never been a hundred percent. You know, I've never been a complete cynic, but I do. I am in a, a very dark place right now because, uh, and not to, because I, I do a lot of bashing of, of, of of people I feel like are charlatans or just taking advantage of people, mm -hmm. but there I've run in. A, into a lot of them lately. Yeah. yeah. And, and there is a lot of it. There is a lot of it in the world. Yeah. And it's hard as hell to watch. And it is hard to watch when you can see the perspective. But yeah. you know what I've what I've done is I on some level the people are repeating a pattern. 
that they're participating in those situations and that's why they're being taken advantage of and they don't see it yet. Right. Um, now I want to talk a little bit about, if, can, can we go a couple minutes extra if we, if You're we fine. Have... You're fine. Okay. Uh, forgiveness. Yes. Because I believe heavily in forgiveness and I, I, I talk about this so much that people get tired of me hearing it, but I believe even people who do the worst yeah. things can be forgiven. We can't imagine how they might've been able to do that. And I even go as far as Adolf Hitler, which is not saying I support Hitler, but I think if I can't uh, forgive him, then I'm unforgivable. I, I just feel like, you know, if, if there isn't forgiveness for everybody, there's forgiveness for nobody. And you were saying that when you first went to the psychic, she told you, mm -hmm. you had to stop I, I, and I'm paraphrasing because you, you you said a lot, but not you know, caring about whether yeah. he gets better or believing yeah. he can get better. Do you believe he can be healed or, or there is forgiveness in the world for him? Not that you have to you have to well, forget or accept him mm -hmm. back into your life, but on some you have to forgive him, right? No, I do. And he that is one of the things he really, really wanted from me for a long time. And I couldn't do it. I couldn't I couldn't say the words I couldn't. And now I can. I can say that I have forgiven him. And I've forgiven him. I've not forgotten. And I don't want any any part of his him in our lives. But I can forgive. And I can forgive because that's actually beneficial to me, right? It's It's about releasing it from me and realizing that I don't need to hold on to the burden of what he did. I get to forgive him and let it go. And... I do I believe that he is capable of being healed only if he wants to. Of course. That, that, that goes to everybody and anybody. Uh, <laughs> if, but if, I, do I believe he does? I hadn't seen it, right? And I had to get out of the situation because he had no real interest in taking that accountability. I truly true. believe anybody can get he be healed if they want to do it for them. Right. And that, that it probably, you know, odds are most people will never be able to allow themselves to admit that they need forgiveness. <laughs> and well, so you, you, you can't, if you can't uh, or even be healed, you, if you can't admit that there is something really broken in you, you can't begin to fix it. Exactly. You have to be willing to look at the deepest, darkest things in order to even start the process. And that in itself is so painful for most people. Yeah. Um, so th th there's all of that now. Um, so moving on, is your husband, your new husband, is he uh, on board with all this uh, quantum energy yes. healing? He yes, is. he Can is. You... It's where we met, actually. We okay. met at a workshop for a quantum healing modality that we were both taking. He was the only man there. And in the very synchronistic, only kid-free weekend I'd had in two years, there he was. And, you know, neither of us expected any of it. But, you know, we, we, we connected in a way that I didn't know was even possible. I didn't know what emotional intimacy even was. And it was the first time I actually felt safe on all levels in a, in a way with a man. And, you know, it's, it's been a beautiful synchronistic set of circumstances that have brought us together. And, you know, he's, he's the kindest, most heart-centered person I've ever met. Uh, and uh, my kids have gotten to, you know, have a father in their lives. What about me? <laughs> um, 
now it's natural for people who care about you to say, hey, hey, wait a minute. Uh, you're sure you're not moving too fast on this? I mean, yeah. you're hurting. You, you, you're just getting over like a terrible, terrible experience in a marriage. Are you sure? Uh, that's got to happen to you. Yes, it does. Um, but anybody who knows me personally also knows that I don't sit in my shit. I don't do that. I, I liked movement. I like change. I am somebody who will uproot. I've uprooted my life multiple times in the last couple of years, and I will continue to do it again because it gives me new experiences and it lets me learn new things. And I, you know, do, do I know what the future holds? No, I don't. But if I can have the most happiness and the most healing and the most expansive journey along the way, that's what I'm going to do. All right. Now you mentioned the difficulty in writing the book and I want to come back to that for personal reasons, but also to understand now this isn't your first book, right? No, this is my first book. It's your first book. Yeah. You've never written anything before. Nope. Okay, so how how difficult is first of all from from a publishing standpoint, you can't be sure that you're what you're if you're not if you're not I, I was under the impression that you were already an established author. <laughs> uh, if you're not an author, then you can't be sure that your work is worth reading until you give it to an editor yes how did you is is is, this the editor and the person you're sharing with your your new husband or is it uh, how did you find the trust to be able to take this really heartfelt personal journey and give it to somebody else to critique and give give you some kind of guidance on so i i deeply knew this story needed to be told there was no question in my mind that i needed to write this book as long as it took me to write it, I needed to do it. And I had multiple people tell me as I was going through the experiments, wow, that could be a book. And I was like, I know. I know. And I've even had people tell me it should be a movie. And if any, any producers are watching, of course. let's talk. But, you know, the, the, it wasn't about, it wasn't about the, the, it wasn't about the, like, is somebody gonna, is this gonna be worth publishing? I knew that it was. I knew that the story was big enough. It was shocking enough. I get that. But if I can interrupt you, I'm sorry. Uh, even though the story is important and you know there will be, you know, if if it's I'm not, writing. yeah, if it's not written well, then nobody's going to be able to follow or really hang True. this. So, and part of that is, you know, being able to trust somebody to look at your work. And, not, you know, it's one thing for me as like, well, you know, the work I put out there, I'm working on stuff that is more important, but most of the stuff doesn't, it's not life or death. It's not about the, the <laughs> deep emotional scars. It's not about, I'm not ripping the heart out of my chest and saying, please critique this. <laughs> um, it's that, interesting because I didn't, I didn't look at it like that. It didn't feel like that to me. It felt like I have a story to tell and I'm the one to tell it. And I didn't even question whether it was going to be good enough actually it it was just i was certain that it was and i really did want an editor to look at it i wanted a developmental editor to look at it and say like does it make sense do i need to add more in these other you know when it's your life you might leave out details because you already know all of them and and so to me the editor's job was about saying can somebody who isn't me make sense of this right 
And, um, you know, the initial feedback I got was, to my surprise, they didn't really want to change very much. There was just a couple of little questions here and there. And I was like, oh, I'm a good writer. I didn't even know that. (laughs) You know, and but it didn't ever occur to me that somebody was going to say nobody's going to be able to follow this like that. It it didn't cross my mind. Okay. What about um, the channeling stuff? Mm-hmm. Uh, I have to share with you this because I've been making reels of old conversations. Uh, I had you know, the one minute things for YouTube because they get more yep. uh, traction on the channel. So I, I uh, a, from a, a subject that was all things paranormal, had a psychic medium on who was talking about channeling and describing the difference between channeling and mediumship. Yes. And uh, somebody's comment on the YouTube uh, short was, imagine having schizophrenia and figuring out a way to monetize it. Uh, <laughs> because, and and it's funny, it's clever and it's mean and it's all that kind of. Yeah. But how do you know, like, how do you know the difference between hearing uh, a voice of something that is real or hearing a voice of something that is being generated by the neurons in your own head. <laughs> What's the difference is my question. Well, that, that would, that was his question though. That's the the guy who was about yeah. that schizophrenia. Like what's the difference between schizophrenia and this? And, and you know, it's, so it's, from my perspective, they're the same. And wow. the majority of thoughts in our minds aren't our own. And we're hearing noise from the outside world. We're hearing noise from the people around us. We're hearing noise from the collective. Our self, who we are, is very, very quiet. And most people's heads are not. And I know no, mine was not. Mine, mine is not at all, ever. It can't be. But I'm, I, I'm getting dangerously um, careless about reacting to it out loud. Yes. Like, <laughs> I'm, I, and I've caught myself a few times of like reacting to the voices in my head <laughs> and, and like, oh, you shouldn't have done that out loud. I mean, keep the reaction <laughs> inside because people look at you like crazy. But so this begs a, uh, maybe not that important question, but important to me. So you're saying that if I, uh, maybe you're not saying this, but it seems like what I'm taking from this is that possibly, the people we label as mentally ill yes are hearing correct uh, yeah hearing from that is exactly what i'm saying i'm saying that the majority of mental illnesses are are grossly misunderstood and that people don't understand what it is like to be overwhelmed with energy if you're not a sensitive and they don't understand what it's like to have a bunch of things going on and if you have trauma in your body and you're hearing a bunch of voices and you you go to people who think you're just a crazy person, they're also going to medicate you. They're going to tell you all of the judgments, which is going to further make things worse in your system because you're now judging yourself. You're trying to turn it off and you've created a chaos system in your body. And to me, that's what the majority of mental illnesses end up becoming. All right, just a little bit more, and then I'll let you go. But I'm going to ask you to please come back so we can talk about some of this stuff. <laughs> we can do uh, that. Um, if you look back, or even before you even met your first husband, before all that that trauma began, yeah. If you look, were you the person who was overwhelmed with with sensory input then? And just, as a as a baby, I was. I turned it off as an early child. How'd you turn it off? 
I was, I turned it off as an early child because it wasn't safe to have emotion. My dad taught me that it wasn't safe to have emotion and it meant that I would be in trouble. And I don't know how I did it as a child, but I know that I was so shut down that I, I had almost zero emotional responses to the majority of a very traumatic childhood. And it meant that I, it, you know, if something didn't make logical sense, then I didn't, that, that's all that mattered was the logic linear thinking and, and my analytical mind took over instead of listening to any of my body's responses. Wow. And I've had to learn how to turn that back on in myself to realize that my body had been trying to talk to me, but I had like disconnected the wires and I wasn't listening. <laughs> that's a great analogy. Well, I know a lot of people would like to disconnect the wires. This is why, why I'm curious about the question because I've asked, you know, again, I've had thousands of conversations with people over on these subjects over the years mm -hmm. and uh, it, it would trouble me to not be able to to feel like I need a shield on my own yeah. my own piece inside my head because uh, honestly a lot of times the, the, the thoughts are not welcome I just no. and which is why we self-medicate and why all, all that kind of stuff just to shut to shut the noise up sometimes yeah. but we judge it because we think it's ourselves and we think it's our thoughts and our feelings and and we have so much judgment of self. And to me, that's the big problem. And if we can honor our journey and our experience and, and recognize that we're receiving this information for a reason, and we can ask more questions about it instead of judging it, we actually get to shift and change and realize there's so much more possibility of how we can look at it. All right. Last thing, and I will let you go. Um, your goal is to help other people with this, yes. right? So people are reading your book, and I, I've read some of some of not all the full reviews, but I read some of the reviews where you are helping people. Yeah. People will want to get close mm -hmm. because you, uh, is that okay with you? Because what? you know, you don't feel like you're, cause I, you know, just from being around show business and let's face it, people will treat you like they, like a rock star if, if for, for this book, because it will impact them. It will make them feel like, Oh my God, somebody understands me and you will become an idol to them. There's a danger in that though. Do there you is. feel like, yeah, I think a, a danger in letting people put you on a pedestal, even though you're not asking them to put you on a pedestal. Yeah. And so uh, are you concerned about that or do you take any step to protect yourself in, in that? And is it that even maybe so it hasn't happened I'm, yet. I'm aware from a, you know, I, you know, removing my address from all over the Internet and, you know, doing some privacy protection type of things. And I'm not actually using my legal last name. Quick is my middle name. And, you know, I'm things like that from a just basic privacy standpoint, because you, you're there are some crazies out there. Yes. Um, but. I'm, I'm somebody, it's going to be pretty hard for people to put me on a pedestal. I recognize they will, but I see magic in everybody. And if people hang out with me, I see magic in everybody. And I'm somebody who will convince you that you are just as magic as I am. All and right. So... Now, I, I can't let you go yet. <laughs> because I recognize, because Lex Friedman, who's a, a, an engineer, and um, a, a scientific mind was having a conversation about simulation theory, and he just kept saying the essence of life, unless the essence of life is truly magical. And he said the word magic like 
10 times in a seven-minute clip. And I was like, this is an MIT guy who's not shy of using the word magic. Right. And so I posted on, on Facebook to see if I you – know, how many people will admit that they subscribe to magical thinking in some area of their life, whether that's your religion or whatever. At some point, when you you think of God for you to help you find your car keys, that's magical thinking. When you think uh, whoever or whatever it is you pray to is going to help your team win, that's magical thinking of some. But people are afraid. I got all these kind of justifications. Well, I believe that this, and they try to water it down. Why can't you say yes? I believe in magic. Well, because we've adults and it's silly and childish to say we believe in magic so we're afraid to say it but 99.9% well the, the Nobel Prize winner just proved quantum entanglement that was magic before that right right <laughs> exactly so, magic is just what science hasn't proven yet as far as I'm concerned and when I look at it that way we get to open possibility because science real science is about theory and the process it isn't about fact and absolutes and right. so is magic so yeah. to me same same um <laughs> yeah I, i'm just really really surprised that people w are so afraid to say yes to that question right? i know well because they think it makes them <laughs> childlike and yes, yes, we, should, we should all be more childlike honestly I've, <laughs> I've been saying that for 60 years i don't want to grow up i i yeah. never wanted to grow up i don't want to grow up that age happened. Anyway, please do come back. The, the book is called Sex Traffickers Wife, and there's a website that's, that's yes. eerily similarly named, the Sex Traffickers Wife dot com. Yes. Uh, Amanda, it's been uh, great getting to know you. Uh, a very stimulating conversation, and I never met anybody who got had a middle name quick before. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Well, I, named after the chocolate drink? No. No, it's actually it's, it's my mom's name. Instead of hyphenating, it's it's what a, uh, what a cool thing. Anyway, yeah. it's it's been my pleasure. Please do come back sometime and, and extend this uh, conversation. I didn't even get a chance to show people the uh, the cover of the book. I want to do that before since I okay, <laughs> it's here. Oh come on, brand brand book. Damn, I'm slow. So here it is. There's the book, Sex yeah. Trafficker's Wife. Now, that, it, it's kind of, um, you wouldn't know from the, the imagery on the cover what the story is about. It's, it's more about energy stuff and maybe it would. Maybe you'd know, it's about the healing part of it, right? I don't. Well, know. It's, it's the whole story. I take you through the journey. I take you from the moment my husband doesn't come home from work one night and staying with him to all of the stop, stuff that I didn't know coming to the surface and then all of the awarenesses and what I learned in the process. And so it really is that dramatic, lightning, shocking moment through everything that happened and then what I learned about what that journey meant. Well, good luck with the book. I, I hope you do continue to help people. Uh, and I definitely look forward to continuing this conversation sometime in the future. Thanks. Absolutely. Have a great, have a great night. Bye for now. Thank you. Amanda Quick, folks. Well, a hell of a story. I mean, the fact that she's able to tell a story. I don't think I could. I understand the motivation is that it, she felt like she needs to tell a story and it's an important story to tell. And I agree that, uh, but I would probably try to tell a story, but I don't think I could without really, uh, I don't know. It's so much, so many different kinds of things, anger, trust, resentment, uh, hope, 
all those kind of, you know, too much for all. I'm not a guy who can, can have that kind of stuff publicly. Anyway, I'd love to hear your thoughts about it. Info at MindDogTV.com. Info at MindDogTV.com. Have a show in the morning um, with Peter Price, comedian from the Road Comics of America group. Uh, will be joining me at 9, uh, 9 a.m. Eastern. Coffee with a dog. Join me then. Thanks for coming. Have a great yesterday night. Bye for now.
me, listen to me, listen to me now. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me now. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me now. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me now.